If you worry about what other people think, soon enough, you will be on the sidelines of your life. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show. As always, I love to bring special guests from around the world. And today, I have someone just on the other side of Canada from me. So that's fantastic. I have Chris Ward. She's a team building and system strategist. She's creating movement where your business supports your life and instead of consuming it. Chris is the founder of Win the Hour, Win the Day Philosophy, which I happen to have a copy of the book that goes with it. I'm so excited. I was able to preview everything ahead of time. After the loss of her husband, Chris returned to full time to her work as a marketing strategist. She was relieved that her business had not only survived her absence, but was growing. And now Chris has completely changed the landscape for entrepreneurs by sharing successful practices that have allowed her absence. Chris has shared the stage with Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Kevin Harrington, original shark from Shark Tank, James Mount. Malinchuk, ABC's Secret Millionaire, Sharon Lecter from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, core author, and Joe Thiesman, NFL All-Star and commentator, to name a few. Chris has also featured on award-winning podcasts, radio, and TV shows. Chris herself is an acclaimed podcaster, and you can hear Chris on her own podcast at Win the Hour, Win the Day, where she has engaging conversations with dynamic guests covering a variety of business topics so you can get the win for now. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Deborah. I'm pumped to be here. Can't wait to dive in. Well, you know, it's really neat because we meet people all in different ways. And Chris reached out to me in a very unique way uh, through YouTube with a video message saying, hey, I have this book. I have this system and I would love to be on your podcast, which caught my attention. I always love to read the books ahead of time whenever I get a chance. And this was a phenomenal book, Chris. And I would love for you to share with us how you even started to look at when the hour, when the day. Oh my gosh. I'm, uh, I'm good to go now after you said it was a phenomenal book. <laughs> I'm, I'm done here. Flattery will get you everywhere with me. Okay. So you're right. Um, listen, backing up a bit, when I started my business, Oh my gosh. Like I worked insane hours those first couple of years. And my husband said I was always stealing from sleep. I would get up early and earlier and stay later and later. And I was told about the two-year mark that I was starting to lose some of my charm. <laughs> so I was like, well, this can't be because he was just so supportive of everything I did. And I thought I can't be running around, you know, barking at people because they're going too slow, which I always thought they were going too slow. It wasn't that I was going too fast. Fine. So I literally went from working 16 hours a day down to six. This did not happen overnight. This is a story on its own. But as I, you know, as you shared, luckily I did because it was a couple of years after that, that my husband was diagnosed with colon cancer and I was pulled away from the business for about two years. Now we were very positive in how we navigated his journey. Nobody knew what was going on. When I returned after his passing, my existing clients had no idea. The local business community did not know. And so then they started to say, like, how could we have not known? How could how could you have accomplished that? And if you could do that, 
perhaps you could help me get to my kids' soccer games. And so then I started to realize that the people that needed me most were the ones that were in business, you know, for a while, five plus years, and they were just working too many hours for where they were at this point in their journey. And so that's how one thing led to another. And I thought I've got to reach them. And I wrote the book and, it, and then we started the winter circle and it all kind of snowballed from there. That's a lot. And I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking when you said, you know, trying to pack everything in the day, I'm like, oh, I have that tendency. I've been working on that one for a while myself. Yeah. So you're, you're preaching to the choir and I'm sure there's many listeners and viewers of, of the podcast who are, have had similar experiences when it comes to being successful. I know you mentioned that there's a difference in two different types of people. There's strugglers and there's the successful people and they mm -hmm. do things very differently. I would love for you to share a little bit about those two individuals and how you spot them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so interesting. I wanted the book to be something where you self-diagnose and thank you so much for your compliments about the book. Cause I did work really hard on that. I wanted it to be, to be, it, engaging, interesting, and easy read. And I'm all about big results, no fluff. So if I want you to read the book and be able to do something right away. And so what I did is I divided everything into, are you a struggler or a successful person? Right. And so a struggler often believes, listen, you, and I did this for years too. Like you don't understand. I can't afford help. No one will do it the way I want to do it. Um, and I really started to know this, you know, it's this kind of behavior when we had co-op students come through and it's amazing. And you get them for like a couple hundred hours and they get opportunity to learn from you. And it's just a really win-win situation. And, you know, for me, it was, oh, this is amazing. And we really put systems in play. And so that, you know, one student would train the next, it was awesome. But I would go around and I think I had the secret and I'd want to share it with other entrepreneurs. Like I, the schools will give you these students and they're very tech savvy and they're, they've got so much to offer and it's free. And they'd be like, well, it's too much work to train them as to this. But a successful person would say, you know what you can do? Like, this is how you can expedite. So never mind even the systems and processes, train them up front, have them train the next part. Like they would improve that. So they're looking at leveraging it versus the obstacles. So that comes up a lot, whether are you a struggler or a successful person? And by the way, I want to really emphasize, this is not about how much money you make because you can be a struggler and make money. It's really about the freedom of choice and how easily you navigate through the day. And, and ultimately what I'm always about is that your business should support your life instead of consume it. And you should always have the bandwidth to be able to take on more to get to that next thing. Cause that's what being an entrepreneur is about is getting your ideas into action not just repeating the same admin work, right? And you know what I find is that the struggler is kind of somewhat of that fixed mindset we hear about Carol Dweck talk about, right? And the successful person is more expansive, more in the growth mindset. Yeah, it's easy to get locked into that though. I feel yeah. I'm going to defend you strugglers because listen, I know for me for years, I mean, what we really focus on when they are, when the day we focus on team time and toolkits. All right. And so first of all, let me give you a quick overview. It's really not about needing more time. It's about having more energy. And so that you feel you should be able to start your work day refreshed and leave fresh. And you should be as functional and purposeful at three o'clock in the afternoon as you were at nine, where instead of that depleting, dragging your tired self through the day, you know, grinding it out. And then the team, I know I, you know, I was a sufferpreneur for years thinking that once I got to a certain plateau of success, I could afford help, almost like climbing a mountain. When I got to the top, then I could get help, but I would never 
get to the top of that mountain without help. That's just that, right? And especially in this magical age of outsourcing, it's just so insanely affordable. And then the third one is the toolkits. We call them our super toolkits. So many people hear systems and processes, and those traditionally are written by the end user, static in nature. They're there to cover liability. And so then you think, oh no, I have it all in my head and this is my business and I that's going to restrict me. When in fact, it's going to, really get stuff off your desk so that you have the bandwidth for creativity. So how, how do you get people started in really shifting their, their time, their calendars? Well, that's a fantastic question, Deborah. So when you're working with us in the winter circle, a couple of things happen. We do start off with your calendar because most people fundamentally just use the calendar wrong. I'd say 90% of people use the calendar wrong. They're living off a to-do list, which is Oh my gosh, so to-do lists are fantastic if you're looking to add stress to your life, get complete tasks, uh, make mistakes, repeat the work, then you really want to stick with the to-do list, right? But what you really want to do is be using your calendar as a time bank account. And so many people have external forces on their calendar, but nothing else. And to me, it's like thinking, they'll say, they might say, well, Chris, I do that every day. I don't need to put that on my calendar. Well, it's not a memo board, but that's, that's like saying me saying to you, Deborah, um, yeah, so your car payment comes out every month and you say, yeah, but don't worry about it. I know it comes out every month, so I don't count it. Well, the money's gone, right? So then if it's not in your calendar and you're not recording, and I don't mean, listen, we're talking hours. We're not talking a lot of work, but so many people fall into their workday thinking they have eight hours when in fact they only have five because half the work isn't on the calendar. Then don't even get me started, Deborah. If you have one day where you have a cold or you're not feeling so well, and then you don't even know what you remember two weeks later, I was going to do it that day, but I wasn't feeling well because you can't move your assets around effectively on the calendar because nothing's there. So we start with the calendar and then we move into some really basic things. And usually really quickly, we get them some help through outsourcing. Um, and that's a whole thing on its own because it's so crazy affordable and there's many options out there. But the problem with a lot of them is they're very expensive. You're tied into contracts. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing, and hear me if you hear nothing else I say, the biggest thing is you can find amazing talent. But if you bring them on, adding more people to chaos only adds chaos, right? And so you may have an amazing person that you found and they were very affordable, but they're not going to stay with you because they will see the writing on the wall that you're always running around like your hair's on fire. And at some point you're going to turn on them. <laughs> they're like, okay, this is stressful. It's not fun. Tasks are incomplete. Every time you give them instructions, oh, I forgot the password. Oh, never mind that. We don't do that on Tuesdays. So that's a big right. thing. We start with a calendar and then we really get them some help. And we do the, we do all the interviewing and we find a hire and onboard them. And then we introduce them. You, they get the final say, the clients. And then we move effectively making sure, sure they're strategically set up with super toolkits so that it adds relief, not stress. Right. So where do you start looking for some of those um, support systems? So there's a whole bunch of places you can look and it really just depends on what type of what is it we need? Do we need a VA? Do we need a social media person? There's platforms throughout, you know, that have been around for quite some time. More and more, what I would caution you is there's a lot of outsourcing agencies pop up. And a lot of our clients have come to us rather discouraged by that and then thinking, well, it didn't work for me and I can't do this again. Mm -hmm. Because if you work with an outsourcing agency, what happens is 
you sign a contract, you might be there for three months. You, they charge you usually eight, 10 bucks an hour. And the sad thing is the outsourcer only gets like four because that's their profit margin and they want to, you know, they want to have a business there. And so also if you leave that agency, you don't get to take the outsourcer with you, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then again, what happens is that outsourcer, people have this misunderstanding that they're going to come with systems. Well, they can't parent up. They can't come into your business and say, Deborah, I have spoken to you twice about not having passwords available. And if I have to speak to you a third time, like they can't do that. So then they come in and you're again, not set up effectively. Whereas when we work with our clients in the winner's circle, we not only work with them in our coaching calls, but we also have what we call win team coaching for the outsourcers, teaching them leadership, how to speak their voice, how to get ideas, how to express all the brilliance that they have, not just be task takers. Um, they also have a learning center where we provide tutorials and we have a discord community. So we're working the entrepreneur and the outsourcer, and it's given us not only a 90% retention rate, but it's given people, people are very generous with me and they'll say things like, Chris, you saved my life. You know, I just didn't know how stressed out I was all the time. Uh, my business is fun again. And it's giving these outsourcers, frankly, the best jobs they've ever had in their life because they're not dealing with these crazy entrepreneurs and dealing with people that it gets easier and easier. So there's a lot of different platforms, but be mindful of that because even Upwork, what they do is I had an outsourcer uh, VA through for seven years through them, but it was 10% off the top all the time. And that really adds up, right? right? So there's a, so that we could do a six part Netflix series on the different platforms out there. <laughs> but what I'll tell you is be mindful. And, and we do that for our clients. We just pay for different services and bring them to our clients, but there's a lot to choose from, Yeah, but there's also a lot of hidden costs. Right. Well, and what's the best way you like, do you have a certain questions that you would have prepared when you approach these companies? Yeah. So we have what we call the pass formula. So it's about personality, action, success, and strengths. And these are some of the things that we ask them, but I'll tell you, we have a 12 point process. And, and so what I do, I see these, these tutorials online. I looked one day on YouTube and many of them are telling you how, you know, take hours and hours and comb through these resumes. Oh my gosh, we don't do that. And we, not only will we find hire and board for you, for you, our clients, but we'll train you on what we did it so that three years from now, if you're not with us, you'll know how to do it. So one of the things I do right off the bat is we put a very generic uh, posting out about looking for a VA. We're a growing company. We're doing this. We're doing that. What have you. Back in the day when I first started doing this, like at least 12 years ago, <laughs> my job description was so detailed that like a leader of a large company somewhere in the world could not, like, it was just too specific, right? right. So it's very general. <clears throat> then when people apply to us, oh, here's a little ninja trick. We will say something like, put sunshine in the subject letter. So we'll just scroll through really quickly. And if we don't see some sunshine in the subject letter, a sub sorry, subject line, we just don't open it, right? Because they didn't read it properly. We're looking for someone with ID, uh, eye for detail. So that eliminates a lot. <clears throat> then we look at the cover letter. We're looking for people who communicate effectively and simplistic, like in a simple way, right? So I'll tell you 99% of the time, I don't even look at their resume. It's how they communicate to me on that cover letter. So then we invite them to an interview and I will do batch interviews where I might have 20 people in a Zoom meeting and they will be warned ahead of time. We're interviewing a bunch of people. You may be waiting up to 20 minutes. And what I will do is I will hop on 
Now you might be sorry you asked me this, Deborah, because I'm giving you all my goods. <laughs> I will hop on and I will say to them, because I think this is really important. And I will say, Deborah, this is a quick interview to see if you're ready to make it to the main interview. Deborah, can you tell me why you think you'd be a good fit for this job? Now, I have said your name twice. Yes. And you'd be surprised how many times people say, well, first I want to introduce myself. My name is Deborah. I'm like, okay, you're not listening. You're out. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then if they just say generic things, like I care about people and I want to help, whatever. But it tells me when they show up, how professional their background is. If they have a virtual background, are they dressed for an interview and their personality shines? Oh, Chris, I'm excited to be here. I've been researching you. What my background is, is I'm really good at la, 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 la. So are they awake? Are they interested? Are they saying right. words with substance? Or are they just smiling, you know, whatever. And so then if, if they do well, I will say to them, I'm giving you an email. It's different than the email address you have. Please follow up to me and say, Chris, you told me to reach out to you. So what I'm doing is I'm giving them another little micro test. So I put them through these processes. So by the time that they get to my client and I'm ready to do an intro, they've been through 12 tests that are ever so small and slight, but show me that they listen. And then they actually get a little mini 10 minute, 15 minute test that we, we send them a video to do. Right. So there's, so it's really very simple, but there, it, it does weed out a lot of people. You know, I, I love that you mentioned those little things. I was listening to, I think it was an audio book. Can't remember which one, but they were talking about, and it was a lead singer of a band and he would cancel his concerts if the detail wasn't paid attention to because he knows that if this one detail wasn't paid attention to something's going to go wrong on his stage and he yeah. had m&ms in a bowl and the brown ones had yeah. to be removed i yeah. can't remember yeah. if it yeah. was van halen or david lee roth yeah but um it was about the brown m&ms so if you're not reading this you're not reading that and so it does yeah. make them, I've seen that in the press too, where it makes them look crazy, but they're like, listen, once I'm on the stage and then we don't have whatever we really need is too late. So I'm finding up ahead of time yeah. that you're not reading this. And it allows you to show up as your best self. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it gives us these people that my clients are over the moon about. And you can listen to this in the When the Hour, When the Day podcast. Our podcast is everything from sales to social media, LinkedIn. It could be anything. But we have over time interviewed some of the outsourcers that work with my clients. And when you hear how bright and articulate they are and how much they love working with their what we call their team leader compared to any other job they've had because yeah. of all the things that are in play – to set them up to be creative, to have a voice instead of just doing tasks and research. Like they, every single one of them say, oh my gosh, this is such an interesting job. And I'm really, they feel like they are a big contributor, if not own the company because their input matters so much. Right. And then, and then they have the value and appreciation as well. And the company's growing. So that's yeah. for everyone all around. Not only yeah. winning the hour, you're winning the whole day, mm -hmm. every day. So I, I know you focus on systems and there is three areas that you talked about that, you know, where it really comes to time blocking effectively managing your team, achieving your goals was leverage re replicated and measured. I'd love mm -hmm. for you to talk a little bit about how those aid in productivity. Yeah. So those are very specific, but in a general term, what I would say to you is here's some common mistakes that people make that will allow you to leverage and be more productive and stuff. A couple of mistakes people make is diving into the emails first thing in the hour or first thing in the morning. And that is just a disastrous way to waste your freshest 
brain power. And really it's all about preserving your brain power. So when you dive into those emails, you're wearing down your attention fatigue, excuse me, attention residue and decision fatigue. And then also what you should be doing is that first hour, the work that requires the most attention or focus. Okay. That is it. And the stuff that you were always working on something. And then we all have a tendency I did for years to say, Oh, I really have this big, important project. So I'll rush through my work and try to do that at the end of the day, which of course that's a moving target and you're not fresh. So it just doesn't make sense. Right? So there's that. And another part that will allow you to do those three components that you're speaking of is also working backwards. We do this in life, Deborah. You might say on Saturday, you know, you have to be at the in-laws at two o'clock for a birthday. And you're like, well, that's an hour away. So we leave at one and then I don't want to drive hungry. So it's noon. And all of a sudden you realize that you're getting ready to go at 10 to be somewhere at two. But as entrepreneurs, we dive in enthusiastically to a project head down. So excited. We got a new client, but we don't work backwards. So quick example with my book, when the hour, when the day, I had to get the book to the editors by June. If I Otherwise, she couldn't do it to September with her workload. So I did the math and I realized I had to do five pages per day, Monday to Friday, to get that to her by June. So I worked backwards and I did it the first hour of every day. And what happened was there would be some days where I didn't feel as fresh or think, oh, you know what? I just don't have it in me today. And the old me would be like, oh, yeah, tomorrow I'll be fresher. And it's, oh, the pages will just fly off the computer. It'd be amazing. But because I worked backwards, I would have to say to myself, first of all, I'd have to make a decision first thing in the morning that I'm not going to do it. It wasn't something I could have on a sliding thing, move throughout the day till all of a sudden I was victim to a busy day. But secondly, I'd have to say, Chris, if you don't have five pages in you today, do you think you're going to have 10 in you tomorrow? So that really sobered me up and kept me on task versus because I worked backwards and had that formula. Then I was like, well, I better get on this because I don't have 10 pages in me tomorrow. So right. that makes such a difference. So those ways allow you to start easily leveraging your time, increasing your output, but decreasing your input. Right. And it's something that's manageable and it sets an expectation that's not too extreme and you know what to expect, right? Because when you know what to expect, you're like, okay, it's only five pages yeah. versus that 10 that you were referring to. Or versus that I'm going to write a book sometime this year. It should be done next summer. Well, you know, nothing works without a plan, right? That's that's just that what, when do we know when we're off track? So again, it was on my calendar. Again, I worked backwards. I used my power hour the first thing in the morning instead of just going, running my business off my brain, which by the way, no, no effective business is run by memory, but it's on the calendar. And these are assets I can look at, measure, improve upon and say, oh, you know, what can, what, what, what time do I have left in the day? Can I, can I put in more pages, whatever, but without these variables, we're just running around closing our eyes and hoping. Right. And I know you talk about course correction as needed. Cause I know people are like, well, I'll uh, check, check later if it's going to be okay. And it's just like checking the bank books, right? Yeah. Some people check it every day. Some people check it every week. Some check it at the end of the month, but by the end of the month, there's not a chance to course correct right? Or tax season, it's all of a sudden, oh, I could have did something about this, but I didn't, right? Yeah, I think it's even bigger than that. I know one of my clients, and here's the thing I hear a lot too. We had an interior designer and she's like, Chris, you don't understand the nature of my work. I go into room, I see stuff. I can't 
batch this. I can't replicate it. I can't have an outsourcer. Like this is just, I've had training, but my eye is different than other people. And what I would argue is there's a lot of pre and post-production in anything that you do. And most people start to the, your zone of genius is in the middle. And then it keeps swelling to all of a sudden you think everything's connected to that. So we looked at her processes and we realized that her average appointment was two hours. And by doing some pre preparation type stuff, we were able to get things done that she didn't actually need to be sitting there to do that she thought she did. So cut to now her appointments are like 45 minutes each. And she does have a VA and there's prep and there's pre-work and post-work that's done by the VA. Her appointments are 45 minutes each. She only does them in the morning. And now she's speaking on very large stages with like people from HDTV and all this other stuff. And she says, I would have never done that because she was so stuck on the fact that this has to be done by me. And it's just one big clump of things that I'm responsible for. Yeah. And, you know, when people do that, they really get stuck. And sometimes that's where some of the blaming can get into when, when things don't turn out the way they wanted to, some finger pointing can, and defaulting that responsibility, deflecting it to others come, comes about. I know you talk about successful people really commit to a routine. And well, you know, I've refined that now. Now yeah. I'm a bit sensitive about the word routine. I'll tell you why, because I realize that a routine is only as good as like, so here's an example. So I'm really about our, our, since I wrote that book, our super toolkits have really evolved. And the beautiful thing about that is I had somebody, one of people on my team, she was talking about how previously in other jobs, whenever there's a mistake, you you know, you're afraid you're going to be blamed or who's somebody's going to be finger pointing to someone. Right. With us, we all just look at, well, how do we miss that? And we improve the super toolkit because we're always queuing it, creating, using and editing it. Right. Oh, the system didn't tell us that. Let's fix it. Right. So there's that. And we rely heavily on that because my concern about routines now, and I still, I understand what I was saying there, but I think now people I have found put it under a different umbrella. So something like I try really hard at night to do some stretching exercises because I work out in the morning and I stretch, but I never stretch as much as I should. So I try to do that at night. Well, recently I went to visit some family. I was on, you know, away for a week. I come back. I'm here about two weeks before I realized, Ooh, I used to stretch at night. And I don't do that anymore because one thing changed my routine and it fell off. Right. And I'm like, Oh, right. I used to do that every night. Okay. I got to get back into routine. So routines are only good. Everyone says add a routine to another routine, but then if anything moves, all of a sudden everything sort of falls to pieces. So we rely heavily on the super toolkits and on the team. And as we talk about the team, here's something else I want to add, because this is another thing that gets brought up a lot. People will say, well, I don't, I'm so busy doing what I'm doing. I don't have time to manage a team. I get that. But you're going from the corporate mindset where 90% of businesses are run this way. It's a parentified system. It's like you're checking, somebody's checking on your work like a parent and a child and a teacher and a student. Whereas I don't believe in delegating because delegating has to come through you and it still work for you. So the way we set up our, what we call our win teams is the, they work independently and the super toolkits really leverage that. Um, I had a situation where, you know, when everything was going crazy with the lockdowns, I had somebody on my team who'd worked with us for a couple of years. She had applied years ago to be international student in Canada from the Philippines. Suddenly, two weeks before Christmas, she's told she's in school in January. And she's, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I had these speaking gigs. I had no time. I found someone. I hired her. 
And then she, Kazel just handed the super toolkits over to Mora. I met Mora on January 5th and she was up to 80% capacity. So that's the thing is we don't want to be buying into the faulty ways we were taught as employees and thinking that, oh, I get it. You don't want that for your business, but there is another way. Right. And you talk about working smarter, not harder. And that's definitely part of that. Yeah. That whole idea of grinding it out is if you really listen to anybody that's telling you beating their chest and all the gurus telling you like, you got to grind it out, you got to do the hustle up front and stuff. If you listen carefully, where they started to really scale their business, make their growth and make their money was their turning point when they learned to leverage their time, build a team and stop working insane hours because it's so counterproductive. You have to know whether you're willing to admit it or not. It's like being hungover. They say being tired is like being drunk. And I know many times I would find mistakes thinking, oh, you don't understand. I care so much about my business. I'll just concentrate even though I'm exhausted, blah, 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 blah. But if you listen to these gurus, the journey of success started when they stopped grinding it out. That's a key feature that a lot of yeah. people miss. And miss. I, I know that you mentioned that the creativity is at the peak when your brain gets a break. Yeah. So creativity is the is at its best when your times of relaxation or play. And the brain just doesn't work when you're running through what I call like hurdles. Like I was, I call myself a recovering rushaholic. You know, it's always where do I have to be next? What's my next appointment? Go, 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 right? And you're just jumping through hurdles all day long to get these things done. And there's just, that's not how the brain works. It can't do that and be creative at the same time. They're two different parts of the brain. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but for years I thought, oh, you don't understand. I know they did all these studies in Stanford and everywhere, but I was like, I care so much about my business that somehow my brain was exempt from all these studies that they did because you just don't understand, right? But science will show you again and again, and you will when you have the bandwidth and the breath and the calmness to come in and do one thing at a time with clarity and focus in your calendar, you will be so astronomically much more creative than that whole rushing and just trying to get stuff done. I love it because- I think I'm a recovering Russiaholic myself. <laughs> so I think we're kindred spirits, Chris. You know, it, you talk about this one topic that, you know, I had to sit back when I was reading this. If you truly forgive something, you have found acceptance and refrain from giving it attention. And the word forgiveness in business, I was like, how does that fit? So I'd love for you to share with our audience how forgiveness is part of business. Well, my book always sounds so much more intelligent when somebody else reads it to me. I'm like, that is, so I think what happens is we get so caught up in trying to do it right and trying to be professional. And, you know, especially where we're all putting ourselves out there so much as social media. And so then you make a mistake and you go, oh my gosh, like, it's not even that I would be embarrassed or what would people think of me? It's just, I thought it looked like I was ill-prepared. I wasn't showing up. I'm not, I'm a, I'm much more of a professional than that. I have stuff to teach you. And so I would be so harsh on myself. But then when you think about the biggest companies in the world, you know, with software, I mean, we look at chat GPT right now. They have bugs and problems and they do not hide it. 
this is what's happening. And then your feedback improves the product and we move forward quicker. So you need to forgive the mistakes. Don't give it energy or attention, learn from it and move on, which really is part of the fundamentals that we put in play with the super toolkits and why they work so well. Yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. So in order to start winning, I know one of the things that you talk about is guarding your schedule. Yeah. What, what exactly does that mean? I know we're supposed to guard our thoughts often. So I'd love to hear more about how you guard your schedule. Yeah, you do have to guard your schedule and be very protective and purposeful with your time, right? So, you know, it's really easy to be seduced. Like, let's say in my case, I do videos on Monday and I do content creation on Friday, right? And it'd be really, oh, somebody wants to meet with me. In the old days, they'd be like, oh, I'm interested in working with you. Can you meet with me? Oh yeah, sure. No problem. I was just going to write some content Friday afternoon. I can fit you in. That's not a problem, right? Because I'm so excited. But, you know, then the content doesn't get work done. And now you're lacking blogs or social media. And two weeks from now, you're like, oh, yeah, it's because I met with Deborah and she wanted to work with us. Well, there's always a reason. And frankly, when you're that accommodating, you look like a rookie anyhow. Um, So you have to say, excellent. I meet with people on Tuesdays afternoons. Here are my options, right? So you do have to guard that and not be so reactive. In addition, though, when you work with other people, you also can be their interruption. So you have to teach yourself not you know, to guard their schedule because you're always going to have the heavier hand when you say, oh, can we hop on a Zoom for a second? Oh, you're in the middle of doing something else I asked you to do, but now I have this random thought about something that I'm working on. So you just really have to be purposeful. Think of it like you're you know, driving going to the grocery store, something so simple like that, you along the way, when you're driving, you say, Oh, I'll pick that up. It's on the way. You're not going to go there and then go at the other side of town and then go back. We know to do that when we're being strategic with something basic like driving, but yet we think we can fake it in the workday. Right. And and you mentioned it's about, you know, when you're talking about setting the goals, you also talk about working backwards, mm-hmm. but then there's something about changing deadlines. And I know sometimes, you know, we look at the goal, we're like, oh, maybe the deadline's not realistic. We need to change it. But also having a deadline as a moving target can cause chaos on its own. Yeah. And I do find that solved when you work backwards. The problem with changing deadlines and goals, oh, this would be like, I love when people say this, they'll say, well, set a goal, like, you know, set a goal and do that. Well, you can set a goal. You can say, listen, uh, six weeks from now, I'm going to, uh, my goal will be, I'm going to be down 55 pounds, right? What's that? Well, that's a goal, but is it, is it possible? Is it logical? Is it reasonable? You know, in my case, well, I already work out every day and I do this and I eat pretty good. And I, I'm hoping I know I'm 55 pounds to lose, but it's a goal. What? so where's the substance to that goal? So I think goals are very arbitrary and, and, and we just throw them out. If you work backwards and you say, okay, here's what happens with, in case of my book, it's like, okay, five pages per day, Monday to Friday. Then I may, all of a sudden, let's say she came back to me and said, oh, well, Chris, something came up. I've got an extra two weeks or I have to, you have to get it done two weeks earlier. Then it's like, okay, the goal has changed and we have to refigure it. But what I find most people lean into is just ambiguous goals that are based on frankly, hope. Right. Right. So what are some of the, I know you talk about fight, your sneaky productivity opponent, but what are the things that, you know, one here was successful people fight longer hours. 
they are fighting an urge. Tell us a little bit more about what strugglers are fighting for. Well, strugglers constantly think that they're fighting for more time and they're fighting for, I know for me, many years, I thought that speed was my superpower. I could go really fast, get things done. And the problem with myself and a lot of the clients I work with is they're the go-to person for a lot of people in their life. And so I did get a lot done. So I just thought there's too much to do. I also didn't understand that when I was going at such a speed that there was no depth or traction to what I'm doing. And it's still tempting, I think, for most ambitious people and even for myself. I have learned, like, listen, after my husband passed away, the weekends were incredibly quiet, which seemed incredibly loud to me because I was used to having big family events and doing all these things. And so for the first time in a long time, I started working on projects on Sundays just to fill the void and the pain. And I'd be like, listen, I love my job. It's interesting. And I, I'm avoiding these long Sundays that are painful. This is a perfect scenario. And so I was sat down by my team. I will say Evan sat me down and he said, you're starting to work Sundays again. And I don't think it's working for us. And his point was, all of a sudden, I'm talking to him about something Tuesday morning that I think we, you know, in my mind, I've got in like an extra eight to 10 hours than he does. So it's kind of like, I think it's Thursday and he's saying, listen, nah, it's Tuesday morning. I we just started this yesterday morning. So right. it distorts time and it puts everybody on a different pacing and it, it, it does wear you down in a short period of time. So I had to figure out which is the healthier way. I had to figure out, oh, I can't just put work in here. I have to figure out how to have new activities that do something for me. I can't just replace this with work. And so it's very tempting. You have to fight the urge when you think you have a good reason. And for many of us, it's, oh, but I love, oh, this is a new project I'm really excited about. So I'm going to work late, la, 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 la. But at the end of the day, you're still fatigued and tired. So it doesn't matter how much you love that new client. You have to fight the urge. Yeah. And you end up de defending your limitations. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you talk about multitasking yourself into a mess. Yes. 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 And and I know one of the things, you know, when I think about multitasking and you've mentioned it, I know just when I was reading it, I was like, okay, I, I catch myself because you feel like you're getting so much more done and yeah. why can't everyone else do this? Like I am right. And, but I can see where you say the multitasking yourself into a mess that you're just getting yourself into a spiral of other things. Yeah. So we really can't multitask. We can context switch. You cannot shine a a flashlight on two spots, but there is an adrenaline to that. And it does make you feel like you were busy, but that's not productive. And I can really see it now whenever for some reason, like even if I'm on the phone and I'm on hold of the bank and I've been on hold for like 20 minutes, you know, I think the old me would be like, well, I can do this other thing while I wait. And maybe you can answer an email from somebody that doesn't while you're listening to music, but I do know not to start doing something that takes attention, even though it's important and I have to get it done while I'm on hold. It, you just cannot do two things. What I always say is multitasking is doing two things poorly at the same time. Okay. That's it. And studies show again and again and again, you're 40% less efficient. There's attention residue, attention, decision fatigue. There's all that, but it does give us a high and you're running around like a fool thinking you're getting stuff done, but you're not. Right. And, you know, one of the things, you know, when I think about the multitasking, you do feel, you feel pride that you're getting so much done, yeah. but you do get to exhaustion. You're going to need that tea or coffee hit by two, three in the afternoon. Successful people feel 
the hour, not the day is what counts. Tell us a little bit more about the hour. Cause I know, you know, the books win the hour, win the day. Yeah. yeah. Tell us more about just paying attention and putting that focus on the hour. What you get done in the hour will bring you all the success. So I encourage you to even set a timer, not even for an hour, 50 minutes, because we want to have breaks in between those hours. If you're going to be working on something, set a timer for 50 minutes, five, zero, and work on that. Because then when somebody calls or you see an email pop up or you do something, you're like, oh, I only got 17 minutes to finish this. I got to finish it. Like then you're focused on one task and you realize how precious that time is. It's very easy to have a distorted sense of time when you walk in at nine o'clock in the morning, and you say, okay, I've got all day to do this, right? I'm going to get this done. And then one thing leads into another. And you also don't know when you're wrestling with a printer that's not working, or you have to call Apple because your phone's not working. All of a sudden, you now it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you don't know how off course you are. So I, that is a good example. Recently, I had to call Apple because there was something wrong with my phone and it took an hour and that's fine. The old me years ago would have went into hysterical mode trying to speed the day up because I lost time and it wouldn't have been effective for me and fun for people around me. But now I look at my hour blocks on my calendar and say, okay, I lost an hour. What can I move from today to, oh, does that, do I need that done? Yeah, I do. So we'll do that today. But this other thing can move to Thursday. And you know what? I wanted to get that done, but I don't need it. That can go to next Tuesday. And so then I'm still calm and effective and it doesn't change my energy or my results. And that's an interesting thing because people don't pay attention to the transition time be between activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And that's so important to always take it. You know, you just go to the bathroom, get a cup of water, do whatever. If you're going from a moment of concentration and saying, okay, I worked on this, then just don't hop over to something else. Take a break. It really is about sort of cleansing the palate, clearing the brain and moving on. I mean, we all think about, I mean, you can spend billions and billions of dollars on research on fitness and physicality. And it's such an industry and you can Google at any time and get how, how to work this muscle and that muscle. But yet the most important thing we all have is our brain power and we deplete it and abuse it and think that just, I hate when people say focus. Well, you, it's like having all these digital mosquitoes come at you. You can't focus when you're doing that. So you're not set up for success and you're not understanding your limitations, capacity, and the problems that you're imposing upon your brain power. Yeah. And our brain wants to do three things, avoid pain, seek pleasure and control the conserve the energy that we have. And if yeah. we're going to exhaustion, we're not having pleasure and we're still avoiding pain. <laughs> so, well, and you're not getting the results that you want, you know, you're just, you wouldn't, an Olympic athlete would not be working himself doing a major workout the night before a big event. Like they pace themselves and they take care and it's strategic and it's all these things. And yet we'll stay up at one o'clock in the morning to get this done because it's important and somehow think I'll just have to try harder tomorrow, even though I feel slightly nauseous from being so exhausted. It just doesn't work. The brain is the first to go when you're tired. Yeah. And I find it, it takes like two, two days to catch up right? Yeah. You think that you're caught up when you get the next day's sleep, but if you've missed any from the day before it's two, three day lag. Yeah. Yeah. You're just not as efficient. If you had like, let's say 10 units of productivity in an hour when you're rested, you're like down to three or four when you're tired. So it's just taking you a lot longer to do a lot less and you're definitely going to find mistakes. Chris, you have just blown us away with all of this great 
tools, tips, strategies, and people need to grab your book, win the hour, win the day. And uh, as we wrap up, I always have two questions in my back pocket that I love to ask. And one is, what is one book that has been transformative in your life and it can't be the one you written, wrote? Oh yeah, it would not throw me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I think the e-myth is really very simplistic and profound. That's a, an important one, the e-myth. And another favorite one of mine that really always resides in my brain was uh, Three Feet from Gold by Greg Reed. And it's it's a story, but it, it's both of them, I think, really gives a healthy perspective and an enjoyable read. And those would be the two that I always remember. Excellent. And final one is what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? I think it's freedom, freedom of choices, freedom of your schedule, just freedom to be doing things because you're free to choose to do so. And there can be no bigger wealth in the world because all the money in the world, there's people with great financial wealth that don't have freedom of choices for whatever reason. And to me, being wealthy is being free. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Chris, how can people stay in touch with you and learn more about how to you know, access the teams, the tools and um, take it? Yeah, so I'm on all the socials. We do also have something special for your listeners. It's free gift, G-I-F-T from Chris, K-R-I-S.com, free gift from Chris.com. Uh, we have something special up there. It won't be up there very long. It's a free version of the audiobook. Um, so you get the audiobook. And then also we're working on this really fun quiz of what's your uh, entrepreneur superpower. That's going to be there as well. We're just making some changes to the new quiz this weekend. It gives you instant and actionable results. So that's kind of fun and people really like it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Any final words of wisdom that you want to share with our audience? I think business should be fun. Simple and powerful. Thank you so much, Chris. And that's, there you have it, everyone. Win your hour, win the day, and you will have transformative action in, in your businesses, in your lives by, you know, looking at that to-do list and actually putting it in the calendar, making things matter and not having those targets continually moving away from you. I would also love for you to join me on my website at www.debrakosowski.com. You're going to get your 10 page reset your mindset, their gift for you as well. So between Chris and my, my gift, you are got a lot of stuff to get, get going on on. And as Mahama Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And as always go out and make today great. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.